last week, we spent time, and we saw that we had completed, obviously, section one of the book of Romans, which dealt with condemnation. Then we started section two um, with uh, verses, or chapter three, verse 22 through chapter five through 21, we start dealing with the subject of justification or being made righteous by faith. And last week, if you remember, if you were with us or if you caught the teaching, that we saw Paul bring up five examples or five proofs uh, of why man is justified by faith alone. And he used the Old Testament to help them understand that this is not something new, but it has been taught all the way through from the beginning of time. And he used five examples. He used Abraham, he used King David, he used circumcision, he used the law, and he also used Isaac as examples of how someone is saved or justified by faith or being made righteous by faith. And by Paul making it clear that we are justified by faith in Christ alone, we cannot work our way to be saved. You cannot do enough good works. You cannot do good deeds. You cannot, just because you followed the law, makes you saved or justified by faith. And we saw that in Romans chapter 3, verse 28. Now today, Paul continues on this subject of justification Last week, the title was Justified by Faith. Today, we're going to see the title of Justified by Faith Results. We're going to see the results of what happens in a person's life who is justified by faith. And it's because there should be fruit. There should be evidence of someone who's been justified by faith. And we will see those results because Paul makes it very, very clear to us in these first five verses of chapter five that we will take today. So if you would please follow along with me in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. And it says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces uh, perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. So we see right here in these first five verses Paul, in his text here, is going to and highlights and speaks of the results of being justified by faith alone in Christ alone. And so as those justified by faith results, we're going to see five things that are results that come from being justified by faith. And here we see the very first one, the very first result that comes right here in very first in first one, where it says it starts off by saying, therefore, which refers back to the previous section that we talked about. And that is back to what Paul was talking about or proving or outlining 
that man can only be justified by faith alone and not by the works or the deeds of the law. So therefore, if it's not by the law, if it's not by all your beautiful creative mindset and your creative thinking and your wisdom of yourself, that doesn't save you. That doesn't make you justified. Then how or what is, how do you know then? Well, if we have simply embraced the simple fact that Jesus died for our sins and rose again, having been justified by faith, we see in verse 1 that we will have peace with God. Because apart from being justified, apart from being made righteous, apart from that free gift that is given, you do not have peace with God. You cannot have peace with God unless you've been first justified by faith. So many people out there, oh, I just want peace in my life. Well, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? No, then you will not have peace. It's pretty simple. You don't have to struggle on this thing. But if you're a believer in what God the Father did for you in sending Jesus Christ, and he spoke of that, of the Messiah coming in the Old Testament, so you, all the believers then had someone, the Messiah to look to, and they put their faith in that, and then those who were after Jesus' death and resurrection, those who were believed, looking back and looking and seeing and knowing who Jesus Christ is, all of us have to put our faith in him. And if you don't put your faith in Jesus Christ or in some religion or some theory or some other doctrine, then you are not going to be justified. But if you're as a believer in, you, in what the God the Father did for you in sending Jesus Christ to die in your place and made, you, and made righteous, justified by faith, then you have no security. You don't have that peace with God that you, as a result of being justified by faith. And we don't, do not have to fall back into thinking we need to earn our position or earn God's love or earn something or prove something to the Father to somehow make your relationship right with him. It is by putting your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the, on the cross and his resurrection. Now before we have peace with God. We were at war against God. Colossians 1.21 says. Who once was alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now he has reconciled. So before we gave our life to Christ, before we believed in faith and his finished work, we were at war against God. Now, many people will tell you, especially the moralists, especially those who, who are religionists, they will say, I'm not at war with God. I don't, I don't have any war, you know, fight to pick with him. As long as he doesn't mess with my life the way I want it, then I don't mess with him or say anything bad about him. No, the scripture's clear that we are enemies against God until we're reconciled. Romans 5.10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. There is no other way to have a life, to be, have our life saved, other than through his son, Jesus Christ. 
Romans 8, 7, he says, because the cardinal mind is in enmity or hatred against God. So before you gave in your life to Christ, you hated God. You just didn't realize that your actions and your mind was in enmity against God. But that was the state of mind. That was the state of our life before we get, chose Jesus. Because there is no neutrality. There is no middle ground that people, all of us, try to play when it comes to a relationship with Jesus. Yeah, I can take him or leave him. I'm neutral. Yeah, no big deal for me. You know, I love the higher power, the gods. Let me just kind of, no, no, let's talk about Jesus. No, let's talk higher power. Let the force be with you and all these other things to try to make a neutral stance so you don't have to make a bold statement that you, are, you love and have a personal relationship with Jesus. But there is no neutrality with God. You're for him or you're against him. The Bible says in Matthew 12, 30, he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. We're either at peace with God or we're at war against God. There is no middle ground. And so many times people want so desperately for peace, but they wonder why they struggle. And there's so much turmoil in their life, and there's so much striving going on in their life is because they haven't made peace with God yet. Or they have made peace with God. They love Jesus. They know he's the only way, truth, and life. They're, they've got that settled. They have eternal peace. They know they're going to heaven but they still struggle in peace on the day-to-day -day kinds of things because there's another peace. Did you know that? You can have peace with God at the result of being justified by faith, but there's also a peace of God that we can experience as well. Paul speaks of this in Philippians 4, 7, and he says, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through who? Christ Jesus. That's where you get your peace of God is through Christ Jesus, not someone else or something else. It's not the position you find yourself in yoga and, and, and looking at your navel that's going to give you the peace of God. The drug is not going to give you the peace of God you're looking for. The alcohol, the pornography, is not going to give you this, the peace of God that you're looking for. The bigger house, the faster car, the better job, the next grand vacation is not going to give you the peace of God. Only drawing close and trusting in Jesus on a daily basis. Abiding in him is going to give you the peace of God. So the question I always ask is, how do we receive this peace? How do we receive the peace? We've got the, how do we receive the peace with God, but also the peace of God? And that is through Jesus Christ by his shed blood and his resurrection. We saw in Romans 4.25, Jesus said, who was delivered up because of our offenses? 
and was raised because of our justification. See, the peace of God and the peace of God we so desperately want, so so earnest to look for. We want that rest for our soul, the tranquility in our life. Can there just be peace in the house? Can we just have some, some rest here? Have you ever said that? Have you found yourself in that in the middle of a crisis or in a part of a day? Well, Jesus says in Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29, says, come to me. He didn't say go talk to someone else, does he? He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your John said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. See, this is the peace that is available to you and to me. And so many times we've been turned to someone to the left or to the right or you, look, you turn to another book that it just seems to be the book that just always is so comforting. We don't turn to the word of God. We don't turn to the word of God so that the word of God can speak to your heart at that moment. We don't turn and ask God for his peace, for his, his comfort, for his, his settling of your heart through the situation you find yourself in, which you have no control over. Peace comes from and is through and is Jesus Christ himself. Many times we ask for peace. And God says, if you have Jesus, then you have peace. Why are you saying, I want peace, I need peace, but I already given you peace. You have Jesus Christ who lives and reigns within you. You already have his peace. So you turn to him who is God Almighty. You don't have to make peace because you can't make peace. We can only enjoy our peace that God gives us. And we can only enjoy that peace with God if and only if when Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior of your life. That is when you will have God's peace within you. When you will have the peace of God the second result, or the second justified by faith result, is having access to grace. We see this in verse 2. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Now when you take a look at this first part of the verse here, we see that the Lord Jesus is not only being our peace, the one who brings enjoyment of peace with God, he is also the one who, with whom we have gained access to God. The privilege in the language here of access being to approach, the ability to go forward or enter into. 
And we can only enter in, or the only way we can approach God Almighty is by the grace that we can stand upon. The firm rock, the foundation that we stand upon. It's only by that, by him, that we can actually have access to God. There is no other way. But because of that, we can stand firmly in our walk, in our daily walk with him. So many times we take a look at this and we say, oh, if I can just get to God or I can hear from God. or I, You have access if you, if you know Jesus as your Lord. You have access. You have you can come to the throne of God. This word access is only seen three times in the New Testament. Here and also in Ephesians 2.18 and 3.12. And each time it speaks only about the fact that we can draw near to God when we are justified by faith. We are given the righteousness of God that is imputed to us through this grace. And because of this unmerited favor he gave to us, because of this free gift he has given us, we didn't earn it. We can't work it. We didn't do the check off and, and, and check the boxes and say, oh, I've done my list. Now I can enter and spend time with God. No, because by faith you've been justified, you have access to God. And he hears your voice. He knows your cries. He sees every tear. We saw this in Romans 3.24. He said, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The only we should be boasting about, as we learned in previous studies, is Jesus' cross and the cross and dying for our sins and his resurrection. That's the only thing we should be talking and boasting about. Because we have nothing to boast about. We know that we are saved through grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. However, God's grace is not only eternal not only brings us into his family as a child of God, but his grace also is given temporal as well. Not only positionally as a child of God, but also practically he gives us a grace to live a life that is honoring to him. It says in John chapter 1 verse 16, and in his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. And when you look at that grammar of grace upon grace, it means a continuation of grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. It's this continuation that he pours out into our lives to live this Christian life that he asks us to live. Yes, once we receive God's grace for our eternal security, Hebrews 10.10, 10, it also speaks of the daily practical need for grace continually. And we need that continually to be able to see, as we see in the scripture here in verse 2, to be able to stand. To stand upright. Have you come to a point in your life where I cannot stand it any longer? Have you made that stand? I can't stand it any longer. Things have got to change in my life. 
the situation has got to change. I've got to start feeling better. I've, whatever it is, I cannot stand it any longer but, because the per- persecution is too great. I, I am not able to stand boldly for my faith. I seem to crumble every time. Temptation seems to be more powerful. My flesh seems to be more dominant. My mind seems to take me in places I don't want to go. Remember, brothers and sisters, today. Remember, it's not by might. It's not by power. It's not by what you do and what you can do or can't do in your flesh. You will always fall short. It is only by the grace of God that you can stand and I can stand and live a life that is righteous because he imparted that to us. We can only stand and live a life that's faithful because it's because of his faithfulness. Not only can we stand by God's grace, but we also see that God's grace helps us to be obedient. We see that in Romans chapter 1, verse 5. We've studied this. Through, through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Oh, if I could just be obedient to God. You can rely upon God's grace to do it, but you can't do it on your own. We see that God's grace is able to build us up in our faith. Acts 20, verse 32, we see Paul in Miletus ministering to the elders there. And he says to them, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the world of his to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So it's by God's grace he's able to build you up. Build you up in your faith. And to, to, to walk and to serve him. He's not, it's, this, it's, 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 a, it's a, a natural outcome that comes with a relationship with God. And relying upon his grace and not by your own wisdom and strength. And when that natural outcome of relying upon his grace, that natural relationship and spending time with him, what it does is it causes to go to church more, to pray more, to read more. To serve more. There's an outcome of fruit that will come from your life. It will be so natural and so desiring to do that. It's, it's the outcome of a relationship of based upon his grace and not based upon your, your own strength and your own might. It's not out of obligation that you come to church. It's not out of obligation you you read your Bible. It's not out of obligation you pray. It's not out of obligation you serve and you give. You don't do those out of obligation. You become a desire. It becomes a natural part of your uh, fruit that comes from the love that God has implanted in you. And that just naturally comes out. You can't wait to go to church and fellowship with your brothers and sisters. You can't wait to spend time hearing God's voice as you read his read his word you can't wait to spend quiet time and hear him speak with his still small voice and say and speak to things in your heart that no one even knows except for him you'll have this desire to want to serve other people and not wanting to be served you'll have a desire to give freely 
without ever saying looking for anything in return. It's not out of obligation. It's out of a desire. I get to. I want to. Not I have to. Not that I, I got to. The fourth area of God's grace causes us to have thanksgiving. A thankful heart. Do you struggle in a thankful heart in what God has already done for you and doing in you? Well, God's grace can help you have this thankful heart. 2 Corinthians 4.15, for all things are for your sakes. That grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. It's only by God's grace that you will have thanksgiving. We can only give thanks by the grace of God. Remember, God is on the throne. He is in control. And it's not your feelings that control that. It's not your circumstances that control this thanksgiving. But the fact that God is in control and by his grace, he gives you thanksgiving through all things. Ephesians 1.11, he says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Romans 8, 28. We know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. That should bring a thankful heart for you and I. The fifth area that the grace of God does is it strengthens you and I. It gives you a strength that's beyond your abilities, beyond your capabilities. 2 Timothy 2.1 says, he says, Timothy, be strong in the grace of God. He doesn't say, Timothy, go out there, pull up those bootstraps, man. Just dig down deep, bro. You can do it. You're young. You're strong. Of course you can conquer anything. That's worldly thinking. That's how the world thinks. But no, God says, you, Timothy, you be strong in the grace of God. That is where your strength will come from. That's unlimited strength because I am unlimited. There's no boundaries to the way I can but if you do it in your own strength, you are limitless. His true strength will be what brings us through those tough times we find ourselves. Because we do not have the inner strength, nor is our flesh capable of holding out enough strength to get through some of the major challenges that come into you and my life. The sixth area we find in God's grace is God's grace allows us to live godly. Titus 2, verses 11 and 12. says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Do you want to live a godly life? Are you fed up? Can you stand it no longer that you continue to seem to keep tripping up and falling down back into the old life? 
then by the grace of God, he can help you according to his scripture, his truth, his promise. He, by his grace, can help you live a godly life if you let him work through your life. There is no reason for you and I not to be living a godly life if you trust him as your Lord and Savior. If you desire to live a godly life. And that's what I find as we sit down and I talk to people. Oh, I don't know why, Pastor, I'm struggling. Do you desire not to live that old life anymore? Do you desire to have a new life? Do you desire to press forward, press on, and have your life changed? Or do you just want some window dressing going on because you're, you're kind of tired of the shades that you have and the curtains and the, the wall color on your, on your walls? Oh, i got to feel better. Give me just a new color. The window dressing isn't going to help you. The color change is not going to help you. The new outfit and the new do is not going to help you. But it's only by the grace of God giving you a life that has that fill, fulfill that desire to live a godly life according to the scripture. <laughs> and the final area of the God's grace is God's grace can help us serve God. Serve God. God's grace can help serve God. Now, I know that's a struggle for many. Because our prayer life is all about how God can serve us and get what we want and how we want it and when we want it and the, and the flavor and everything else. But that is not how God's grace works. God's grace is about dying of self and living to serve him, to honor him. In serving God, we need God's grace. Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. To be able to serve in that humble state, that, that fear of God of just wanting to serve him and do it in, in such a way that honors him and, and it brings joy and gladness because of that we're, we're doing it with the right heart. And so the question always is asked, how do I get this grace of God? The Bible says very clearly in 1 Peter 5, 5, in James uh, 4, 6, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. That is how it happens. How do you have the grace of God? You must humble yourself. You must die of yourself. Yes, you had to do that for eternal life. You had to humble yourself. You had to come to a point where you recognize I'm a sinner, I'm a wicked man, I'm a wicked woman, I am a, I'm wicked to the core, and I need God's forgiveness. And I know his son died for my sins, and I accept that, I believe it with all my heart and soul. Yes, you've been saved for eternity because you've had to humble yourself to get to that point. But you also and I also must walk humbly in all the things that we to do if we're going to receive God's grace in the things of serving God and to receive God's grace daily. We, we must remember that we must and we need to humble ourselves in this new life that God has given us. We need the God's grace to serve him humbly. See, believers in Christ now stand. 
we can stand firmly. Planted by grace in the presence of God that we saw in Romans chapter 3, verse 24. And we can enjoy him as long as we want. Because he lives within us. We can enjoy him. We can love him. We can just, just, just find that time of rest with him. And we can just sit there and any time we wish. Because Christ has, has brought us into this position. He has escorted us as our means of access to God by his grace. And it wasn't based on what you did or I can do. Can you, do you understand that? We have at least a little bit of an amen in your mind going on right now. That you can literally, Jesus escorted you into the throne room of God. And you can just sit and rest and talk to him, spend time with him, learn of him. And by his grace, he fills you to fullness. And there's nothing you have to do but believe. Do you really, want, really, do you really understand that? Paul needed to make sure his readers understand that. And God is speaking to you and I today. Find rest in your relationship with He's escorted you into the presence of God. Now, we said there was five things that just that are a result from the justified by faith. The third one here, back to Romans chapter 5, and we see this at the second part of verse 2. It says, rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We can rejoice in hope. We can rejoice in our faith in the glory of God because we have absolute certainty that the glory of God will be manifest in you and me. We have all the hope. We know it's going to happen. That God who starts a good work in you is going to be faithful to complete that work in you. You don't have to, your feelings don't feel like that today. And your issues and maybe the stumble you ha might have tomorrow may, may cause you to think you're not going to be worked upon. But God is faithful to complete that work in you. The world's hope the way the world defines hope is all based on a desire for something to possibly happen. But a Christian's hope, our hope, is based on knowing and receiving that it will happen. Because it's based on the promise of God. And God is promises that are never broken. The glory of God is a guarantee for you and I. We don't wait for the hope. We already have hope of the glory of God. We've already received that hope. So as we go through our lives, we're not like, oh, I hope God, I hope that God is going to do this in my life. I hope no, he is going to do it. We can step out boldly and say, God, how are you going to work your plan out in my life? You're going to reveal it as you go, but I'm trusting in you. You have a great plan for me. I know where my future is. I know where my home is, is in your presence in heaven. I'm just waiting for that time. But until that time, Lord, I know my hope is, is, is already here with, with me. You're, you're my hope. I base it on the glory of God in, in everything I do. Romans 8, verses 29 and 30 says, For whom he foreknew, he he knew all, he knows all things. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, 
these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. So we already can see that it's already taken place. Do you see this? 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as, the, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So when you come to Christ, we already have that hope in the glory of God. We also know that eternally we're going to be glorified in our bodies. We're going to have a glorified state in heaven. We see that even in 2 Corinthians 5.8. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body to, and to be present with the Lord. Because we know when we leave this, this body that's fallen apart, that is temporary, we know that God is going to give us a glorified body in heaven. No more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. It's going to be great joy. Tremendous peace. But he gives us that glory here, now. And he also knows that we have even more to look forward to when we're in heaven. Philippians 3.21 says, Who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Oh, no more struggle. Oh, the flesh, how it can give us a struggle, will be no more. I don't know about you, but I am ready for that state. Oh, Lord, that's why we sing soon and very soon to remind us of the fact that God's glory is now and in the future for us. Because we have to remember, from God's perspective, you and I are already glorified. But from our perspective, I know he is at work in my life. I am being confident every day. I'm being confident of every, of very, this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1 6. I have that assurance in him. You have that assurance in him. And as believers, we rejoice eagerly with anticipation of the time when we will share in Christ's glory and no longer falling short of the glory of God that we studied back in uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. He is the hope of glory. He is our prize of glory. Even Colossians 3, 4, when Christ, who is our life, appeared, then you also will appear with him Amen? That's awesome. Now we see a fourth result. Justification by faith result. What is the fourth one? We see in verse 3 and verse 4. It is glory and tribulation. And this one you and I don't like. This one we like the other, the other three. We'll like the fifth one. But the fourth one's a struggle for us. Why? Well, it says right here. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. There's a process that God's going to take you and I through in our walk with him. And it will start with tribulations. The fact that our hope 
as in the glory in tribulations. Believers, we can enjoy the peace with God. Yes, we are eternally saved. That's been achieved. He has ushered us in access to the throne of God. There's no veil separating us between us and our God. There's no priest, there's no pastor, there's no reverence separating us between us and our God. But we come and we are able to come into his presence and wait. And as he works through our lives, he says the word here, tribulation, in the Greek means crushing. Paul brings us back and, and uses an example of how they used to crush the grapes with a very heavy stone. And that stone would just rock on those grapes to I mean, those olives to be able to um, squeeze out the oil, the spirit that we see oil is sees in the from a spiritual perspective, the spirit to come out and to be or the oil to come out of that that fruit. So it's going to take pressure. It's going to be crushing to make that fruit or that oil that they wanted from that olive. But Paul says here, God has made very clear to us that we are too to be crushed or to be pressed or to be um, squeezed so hard that we will see fruit, that the Spirit of God will work, be worked through our lives. And he even tells us in his word, do not be shocked by this. He says right there in John chapter 16, verse 33, in the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Because you're a believer, the world is coming against you. It's going to cause tremendous tribulation. But be, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You haven't overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Trust me. Acts 14, 22. We must we must, through many tribulations, enter in the kingdom of God. For us to enter the kingdom of God, we're going to go through tribulations before that happens. He's going to refine us, make us more Christ-like. 2 Timothy 3.12, yes. And all who desire to live godly in Christ, Jesus will suffer persecution. Maybe that's why many don't want to trust in the grace of God when it comes to godly living. I don't want to do that because I know the result is I have to go through tribulation to be able to live that godly life. Maybe that's what it is that scares people. Versus trusting in the power and the might of God himself who will bring you through those tribulations that he promises you. Because... It is for our good. Even 1 Thessalonians 3.3. 3, no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Now that's not always said in when it comes to, would you like to give your life to Christ and have eternal life? And oh, he'll fix your life and you know, we give him all the promises. But why is it that when we're talking to people about getting in your life for eternal life, oh, by the way, when you do that, uh, you're signing up for tribulation. You're signing up for great affliction coming into your life. Oh, no, that's always left out, isn't it? So many people, after they give their life, they think their life is going to become rosy and, and, and stress-free and, 
<laughs> it's all going to be just wonderful, and, and I'm just going to sit back and kick back, and I don't have to do nothing here and deal with it. All this pain and suffering and issues, my past, will just never haunt me. No, no, no. The, the, the world wants to bring affliction upon you. The devil wants to come against you. Your flesh wants to rise and raise its ugly head and take control again. But he says, do not fear, people. It's appointed to you. You're, you're gonna, this is going to be used for your for good in your life. Because it's promised in the word of God that tribulations will come. The question is, is how do we respond to those tribulations? How do we react to those tribulations and those tests, those crushing moments that come into your life? Who do you turn to? What do you turn to? you stand with Jesus, relying upon his grace? Our response is the glory of our, is, is to rejoice. Our glory is in our tribulation. We're to rejoice in tribulation. We are to rejoice in our tribulation? Are you kidding me? The car broke down and I'm supposed to say, praise God that it broke down? I'm stuck for two days because the plane didn't leave. I'm stuck in this place in Chicago. Praise the Lord. Oh, this is great. No. That's not what we're talking about. My, my house burned down. You're telling me, oh, this is the hallelujah moment. No, that's not what it's saying. Paul is saying that the trials and tribulations that come to a believer because of your faith in Jesus, because of your relationship with Jesus, and trials and tribulations come your way because of that relationship, rejoice, because you're going to be rewarded greatly for what God is bringing, going to bring you through because of that relationship with Jesus. Now, there's other things that you're going to deal with, other incidentals you and I are going to have ourselves when you locked yourself out of the house, I don't think you sat, especially in the dead of winter, without your jacket because you thought, oh, I could go to the, this mailbox and just grab the, the mail and my little slippers and, you know, t 10 degree below zero and I'll just reach out there and grab it and, and you forgot your keys and you're locked out. You're not sitting there praising God and hallelujah, I'm so, you know. No, no, you're like, God help me, right? I hope you're turning that. And then you say, Lord, give me wisdom because I hope I gave a key to my neighbor or my the neighbor I love or someone so it can come like, get me in. But no, the incidentals that are happening in the world and many times a lot of incidentals, the things that we end up dealing with, like locking ourselves out, is really our own fault. A lot of things we deal with are our own, our own lack of seeking God for wisdom or, or the fact that we didn't think through or we're just juggling too many things and we were not, you know, we're just not settled. We're not in, in the will of God at times. And many times those incidentals will cause us pain and suffering or squeezing. <laughs> and Paul says we glory not only in what we're going to be, but who is of what is going to happen. Even James, James 1, 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. 1 Peter 4, 13, But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Because through these trials and tribulations, because that 
God is, is going to be there and you're relying upon the grace of God and allowing his strength and power to help you stand through these things. He promises to walk you through these dark valleys. He doesn't say he's going to keep you from the dark valley. He just says, I'm going to walk you through these dark valleys. And when you come out, you're going to be able to glorify. You're going to be able to rejoice. You're going to have exceeding joy because you see the handiwork of God working in your life in and through those trials and tribulations. And the reason is because we see at the end of verse 3 and verse 4, it produces spiritual growth for you and I. It helps us to grow in our faith because it's, it's a process. It's a chain-like effect. It starts with tribulation producing perseverance or patience or also referred to as steadfastness. We see that because of tribulations, it's going to build up and, and work through us and adjust us and change us so that we become more patient. That we're able to steadfast through the things. And he builds on that. He gives you a little trial and tribulation to build your patience. Then he says, okay, we, let's take you. You think you've arrived. Oh, I'm a patient person. Oh, really? When you make that statement, okay, well, I'm going to watch your life because it's only a matter of time. Another tribulation is going to be much greater coming your way to test how patient are you really? And that perseverance will be developed in you and I. That patience, that steadfastness. Because you're totally relying upon the grace of God in getting you through that. Then after perseverance, you'll see character. You'll see experiences in your life that will help you mature. You'll have a proven character. And that character changes as you refine your character and you become a proven character. You're not a wishy-washy, your yes will be your yes, your no will become your no. You'll be having this character of faithfulness. You'll have a trustworthiness. That will never come and be an element of your life until you've gone through tribulation and built on per, uh, uh, perseverance or patience in your life before that will produce as a fruit. And it has to be tremendous tribulation. Why? Because so many of us will sit there and the tribulation or the, or the challenge, or the trial, the crushing moment will come in. And what you and I will try to do is say, lean on our own understanding to figure it out. We will try to use our own strength to lift up the heaviness of that rock that's crushing us. Or you'll sit there and go, oh, I, I'll turn to someone else. They will help me get out of this situation. Oh, they'll bail me out of my, my terrible situation. I made some really bad deals. I'll just, someone else will do it. Because they don't want to take responsibility. They'll find someone else to do it. And we find ourselves wrestling and struggling until the point you're on the mat and you're tapping out because you cannot get out of the hold. God has put you in such a position, you have to tap out. You have to say, God, help me. And that's the tribulation that will bring about perseverance and will change the character of you and I. Oh, he's not done with you yet. 
after he's gone through that patient building, after he's changed your character, we see that then character then builds up and strengthens and deepens hope, or we refer to as Christian faith. Your faith will be so deep and so wide. And your basis of your life and what solidifies and gives you stability to walk the daily life is in the faith that God has developed in you. He will do it. When you find yourself at the end of your rope, tried everything, didn't work, you have no answers. You've tried them all. You've tried, you've already done them all. You've turned to everyone you know, and they couldn't help you. Eventually, God will get you to a point where you only come to him first and cry out and ask for his grace and his mercy. What's the best example that we see of this in the scripture? What's the best example? But Jesus Christ himself in the garden of Gethsemane. Do you see that he is in prayer at a point in his life? He's coming to the point where he is right there in Gethsemane, the place of the olive press, and he is sweating great blood, drops of blood from his own body because he was under such pressure, under such of a, of a tribulation at that point in time. And he said to his father, if it is possible, if it is possible, Father, take this cup from me. But your will be done, and I submit to you completely. We see that in Matthew 26, verses 39 through 43. When God has got you to a point where you say, God, if there's any way possible to bring me out of this tribulation, out of this suffering, submit to whatever your will is. That is what brings perseverance, perseverance character, character to hope. That is how God works in your life and my life. First Peter 5.10 says, but may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, established, strengthened, settle you. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for our light affliction, it's just light affliction from God's perspective, but is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding eternal weight Hold on to that verse, my brothers and sisters. If you find yourself in affliction, if you find yourself in a tremendous turmoil, and you find yourself, you're finally going to tap out and you're going to ask God, your will be done in this situation. Just realize that that light affliction from God's perspective, that 
temporary, only a moment time in your life of eternity is being worked in and through you so that exceeding eternal weight of glory will happen in your life. Now the fifth and final justified by faith result is the Holy Spirit. When you're justified by faith, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and works through and in and through your life. And it was given to you and I freely. God himself freely gave himself to, to us. Romans 5.5. 5. Now hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in your hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We will not experience disappointment in putting our hope, our faith, in Jesus Christ. We will never be disappointed. Never. The scripture is very clear. Never will you be disappointed in the hope in Jesus. A believer's hope, since it is centered in God and his promises, does not disappoint. The reason this hope does not disappoint is because he himself, the Holy Spirit, has poured out his love into your hearts and to my heart. He has come in and we see the fruit of the Spirit will bear fruit in your life. The love of God will come about in your life because he poured it into your heart. The Holy Spirit is the divine agent who expresses God's love for you and as I and you and I as a believer and it's his abundant love that encourages us in our hope and in our heart. And this pouring out of the Holy Spirit is exactly what we see in Galatians 5.22. That as you continue to allow God to do a work in your life, that abundant, unconditional love will come and bear fruit in your life. Now, if you look at the facets of that love, look at the next two just on that list. Joy and peace. Part of that. Long suffering. Patience. You see everything that Paul is talking about here in these first five verses of the result that comes from being justified by faith. And he does the work in you and I. That means you and I can rest in our relationship with him because the result will come. It will come sooner for some and maybe a little harder, a little longer, depending on how stiff-necked and how, how stubborn you are right now. But the more you surrender, the more humble you are, less pri the pride must die in your life. The humbleness must rise. His humbleness needs to go so that you'll see the grace of God working to do 